that kind of shaped me, at least for a few years of my life, was the fact that I went to college at this place called the Master's University. The Master's University is not exactly in our backyard. The Master's University is kind of far away. It's in a city called Santa Clarita, which is actually 80 miles away. So if you think Disneyland's far, times Disneyland by about three, that's about how far away this college was. And what I did was, for a while, when I started out in the Narrow, I was here on the weekends, and I would be at school from Monday to Thursday all week. That back then, we had TNN on Friday nights. Those were, those were the days, right, back in the day. Some of you guys remember, some of you leaders. When I would go back and forth, it would be hard because it's not just 80 miles of like constant, you know, nobody's there. It's just straight road ahead of me. You have to go through LA. And because you have to go through LA, you've got about like 15 or 16 different freeways that you can choose from. It's like choose your own adventure, right? You got all these different ways to go. And I remember one night in particular, it was after the college group, which used to meet on Sunday nights late. And it was at about 10 or 11 o'clock at night after Alexander and I, as crazy college students, madly in love, were hanging out at church. I leave church at about 10 o'clock and I got to go all the way up to the master's university, which is 80 miles away. So I already know that I'm going to get that I'm going to get there late. It's going to be 11 or 12. And when I'm passing Knott's Berry Farm, which you guys probably know where that is, that's maybe, you know, 30, 40 minutes away, my app, right, my navigation app says, hey, get off the freeway. And I'm like, Psh, no, I'm not getting off the freeway. I'm not getting off the freeway. And then I pass the exit. The next exit, it says, hey, get off the freeway. And I'm like, no. Okay, I'm not getting off the freeway. I've done this drive. I know exactly where I'm going. And I actually took my phone off of its like magnet thing, right? I unplugged it, I put it away because I said, I don't even want to see this. And I passed the next exit. Well, lo and behold, what happened right after that was I crested over this hill on the freeway and I saw a sea of red lights. If you know what that is, that's a bunch of brake lights. That's a bunch of people in front of you stopping. There was this weird accident and they were doing some, it was an accident and they were doing road work at the same time. So it was a recipe for disaster and they had to shut down the freeway. So essentially we all came to this stop and we had to sit there. I sat there for over an hour and a half, okay? 10.30, 11, 11.30, 12 o'clock. I'm sitting in the same spot and we actually have to back up and go out the freeway another way. And these police cars are like navigating us, but there's these like probably a thousand cars there that got stuck. Well, I wish I had listened to my navigation instead of unplugging it, throwing it away, saying, I don't want to listen to this. And you might feel bad for me, right? That I had to sit there for an hour. I mean, I was falling asleep a little bit, right? Maybe I just turned on some, some jazz to try to make me fall asleep and then I could wake up. No, that's not what I did. You might've felt bad for me, except you know that I was warned. You probably don't feel that bad for me. I was warned once. I was warned twice. And then instead of listening, I got rid of it and I said, I don't even want to hear it anymore. It was a big deal because it cost me an hour or so. But there's another thing that's a huge deal, an eternally big deal that requires a warning and a response. And you've grown up here, and I know a lot of you have gone through the edge and you've gone to Awana and you've learned this before, but I want to give you a warning again. God's word says that every person is headed in their natural state. They're headed to a place of destruction. They're headed somewhere that's not good and there needs to be a life change, a life altering change that gets them off of the road that they're born on and onto the road that God wants them to go on. And that's why we call our ministry the narrow road because Jesus said in a sermon that there's this narrow way that leads to life and most people don't find it. 
Most people stay on the broad road. They stay on the freeway and they don't take the exit. So I wanna look at what Jesus said and where our ministry got its name. So open up those Bibles to Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven, verse 13. Super important passage that actually comes at the end of a sermon. You know how sometimes when someone's preaching, they basically give all the important things they say, they step back, they take a deep breath, and then they tell a story and it ends the sermon. You guys have probably experienced that. Well, that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is concluding his important sermon on the mount. And actually, the way that Matthew records it here, Jesus used four conclusions. Usually, if I conclude a sermon, I just use one story. Or Pastor Mike just uses one story. Jesus used four stories, back to back to back to back, to show the importance of listening to what happened before. This sermon in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount, which has nothing to do with the content of what he's saying. It's just where he was saying it. What Jesus preached about at the beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says, if you want to enter heaven, if you want to go to heaven, your righteousness, your performance, your life has to be better than the best and most righteous people you've ever met. It's got to be perfect. In fact, Matthew 5, 48, later in the passage, it says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father's perfect. You must be. You want to enter heaven? You want to go to the place of eternal life? Well, you've got to be perfect, right? And that should leave every person and the rest of the, the, the book, or the rest of the sermon, rather, Jesus is showing people. You thought you obeyed, you know, the, the idea to honor your father and mother. Well, maybe you, you didn't obey the heart of it. You think you obeyed the command not to murder somebody. Well, if you've murdered in your heart and you've been hate, hateful to somebody, you've actually committed basically the same sin in God's eyes. Whoa, that's a huge deal, right? So it's, he's constantly showing you're actually maybe more guilty than you thought before God. So this is how he's concluding it. And the only time the word enter is used is in Matthew chapter five and then twice in Matthew seven. And the first word of our passage is the word enter. Look at it in verse 13. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. He's not talking about a road. He's not talking about freeways. He's not talking about some old cobblestone Roman road. He's using this as an illustration to talk about what it's like to go to heaven. He says there's many people who are on a broad road and this is all an illustration to show the people who are not obeying God's commandments before. The people who aren't right with God that he's been describing this whole sermon. This is how he's bringing it to a conclusion. He says many enter by that, but there's this narrow gate. He calls people to enter this gate and to go on this way. He says this way is easy that leads to destruction and wide and many enter it, but it leads to destruction. And the narrow gate, the hard way, leads to life and those who find it are few. The most important thing for you in junior high, if you're a seventh grader, the most important thing I want you to know, and this is why I'm presenting it up front, is I want you to know that in junior high, if you have not already entered by the narrow gate, if you haven't gotten off the freeway. And that's the idea, right? This narrow gate, this small way that leads off the, the, the broad road. There's these, these narrow you know, ways to get off, these like freeway exits. He's saying, if you haven't gotten off the broad road yet, that's what I want you to do. And it's so important that you do that because he says, if you stay on the path that you're on, it leads to destruction. If you haven't repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, you're on that broad road. There's two ways. He goes on and also these next three illustrations he uses at the end are all saying the same thing. 
They're saying there's two types of people. There's good trees and bad trees. There's people who enter heaven. There's people who don't enter heaven. The last one is there's people who build their house on the rock and there's people who build their house on the sand. He's just showing there's two types of people, two types of people. And, and what it's dependent on is what we do in response to what Jesus said. The main idea in this passage is Jesus wants us to turn from a self-serving life, the life that everybody lives, right? Serving ourselves, doing whatever we wanna do, to a life that's all about serving Christ and following Christ and doing whatever God says, and whatever Jesus says, and whatever God's word says, regardless if we wanna do it or not. That's the main idea. He's calling people to repent. Verse 13 talks about how this easy way, it's appealing to a lot of people, but it's not really good in the end. The first point I want you to write down is this. I want you to get real about the cost of living for yourself. Get real about that. I know if we talked about it and we said, hey, is there, is there two places people go when they die, heaven or hell? You'd probably say, yeah. If you said, if we asked you a question, you know, do we believe in Jesus? You might say, yes, I think he's, I think he's real. I, I believe in God, right? You might affirm all those things, but here's what I, I want you to think about this morning. Everyone in this room, everyone on this planet is on one of these two roads that Jesus is describing. There's no third road, there's no fourth road, there's no road here that says, you know, the people who are growing up in church, um, who just, you know, they haven't repented yet, right? There's, there's not a third road to that, right? There are two roads, the broad road and the narrow road, non-Christians and Christians. The problem is, because we don't talk about it all the time, we rarely think about the consequences of staying in this selfish lifestyle that, that we're born into. We, we rarely think about the consequences of sin. Because the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. It reminds me of something I used to do when I was your age. You ever been to a water park? You ever been to a water park? Right? In my old age, I've realized how gross water parks are. Uh, but don't think about it. They're not that gross. <laughs> now that you're post-coronavirus people, you'll, you'll, you'll live in the post-coronavirus age, right? So you'll think everything's gross. Um, Welcome to the club. Right, we're called germaphobes. Nice to meet you. Um, but these water parks, it's funny because at these water parks, the favorite thing for everyone is usually not the, the big slides. It's usually not, you know, the big river rapids one with like the tubes where everybody's going down. It's the lazy river. You know what I'm talking about? You guys like the, you know, the lazy river, right? Remember Soak City? Remember Wild Rivers? Rip, you know? <laughs> Also with the Irvine Amphitheater, rip, you know, uh, they're, they're dead. Uh, I heard Wild Rivers is going to come back to life. I heard about that. I don't know. There might be a resurrection there um, at the Great Park in Irvine, but I don't know. No free ads. But anyway, Wild Rivers, Soak City, they all had this lazy river, and that's what everybody liked to go to. Maybe you've gone on the big rides, but the favorite part about everybody for, for the lazy river is you kind of just get to lay back. Or you can just kind of like, sit there and the current takes you and you kind of just like walk a little bit, but you're not working hard. Some people like the tubes, right? Some people, you know, grab their sunglasses and their hats. You know, those annoying people at water parks who act like it's their backyard. It's like, you're like, you're like 50 years old. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you wearing this hat? Um, like, well, it's not your backyard, right? Anyway, that's what I, that's what I thought when I was 12 and 13. So anyway, whatever. Maybe you didn't think that. Anyway, this going with the flow of the current, right? That's a really fun thing to do because it's easy. Imagine if I told you instead of doing that, you actually have to go backwards. You have to walk backwards, right? Maybe some of you tried this with your friends, right? You go, you do the loop backwards and see who can race the fastest. You're the annoying people at water parks. You're the people that the old people yell at, right? You're one of those people, maybe. Okay, whatever. I won't judge you for that. Uh, that's what Jesus calls Christians to do. 
Instead of going with the flow of the world, because you're not going to join in with them, or at least God calls you not to, you're going to be weird, you're going to be different, and it's going to be hard. And when you do this, you understand that you're making a choice to turn around. That's what the word repent means. The word repent means to actually turn around. And that's a good illustration, a good visual of what it means to become a Christian. You're going with the flow for your whole life. And when the day comes, when you decide, I'm, I'm going to turn from my sin, I'm going to follow Christ. What you're doing is you're in the lazy river and you're putting your feet down and you're turning around, you're walking the other way. That's what God calls you to do. And it's not very easy. It's actually really hard. And that's why Jesus says the way is hard that leads to life and the way is easy that leads to destruction. You're in Matthew 13. Look at Matthew 7, 21. Matthew 7, 21 is the third of the four illustrations that Jesus closes with. He says in verse 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, imagine Jesus is sitting at this throne, allowing people to come to him and request access to heaven. And they come to him and they call him the Lord. And they recognize who he is. He says, not everyone who recognizes that I'm the Lord is going to go to heaven. So what that means is not everybody in this room who says, if you took a test, do I believe in God or do I not believe in God? If you believe in God, that doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. It doesn't. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ and that he's who he said he was and he's the savior of the world, that does, if you mentally agree with that, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. There's a lot of people who said this to Jesus and they're not going to heaven. He says, but the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? These people did some crazy things, right? John's never cast out demons, right? Mighty works, I don't even know what they're talking about, right? They're doing some crazy things for God. And when they show up to heaven, they say, look at all the stuff I did. Look at all the stuff I did. And Jesus says, time out. That doesn't cut it. Because remember what we said at the beginning? If you want to go to heaven, your righteousness has to be perfect. You see how that leaves us in a really hard spot, right? If we have to be perfect to go to heaven, and everyone who tries really hard to go to heaven and isn't perfect gets rejected, right? How can anyone go to heaven? Have you thought about that? How can anyone go to heaven? If you have to be perfect? That's why Jesus came. Because he was perfect in our place. And look what he says. He says, I'll declare to those people, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. Right? See, that's, that's what it means to be a Christian is to know God. Yeah, to turn from your sin. That's, that happens. But when that happens, you enter into a relationship with God and you know Jesus now. He says, these people, they never knew me. And what he says is, you workers of lawlessness. He says, you didn't even obey my laws. You had secret sins. Maybe you went to church, but you had all those secret sins that maybe you and your parents didn't know about and your small group leader didn't know about. You, the whole time, the whole time, you were pretending you were a worker of lawlessness. That's what Jesus is saying to these people. I want so badly for at the end of your life, Jesus not to say that to you. And that, for you, can be something that changes radically in junior high. And I hope that changes in junior high for you. If you're one of those people that's headed down that broad road, that leads to destruction, right? Which you can write this passage down. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9 talks about that destruction. Sometimes you think, okay, well, if my life, I can do whatever I want and then it leads to destruction and then I'm poof, gone, right? You might think, well, okay, I'll maybe take that trade. The problem is the Bible doesn't describe hell as like, a, like once you go, then you get used to it, right? 
It's not like a, a prison where you're served good food, right? It's not like that. It's not a party with all the people that you remember from, from your earthly life. That's not how hell is described. The destruction, it's called eternal destruction, which doesn't mean you're destroyed once and that lasts forever, but it also means you're eternally being destroyed every day. That's great, forever. That's what it's described as. I, I mentioned a passage, let me read it to you. It says, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance, that's revenge, on those who do not know God. You see that? Know God. That's the whole idea. Jesus said these people didn't know me. They tried to perform and they tried to do good things, but they didn't know me. It says, vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to die for you. And more than just to die for you, before that, he came to live for you. You understand that if Jesus died for you and that's all he did for you, you couldn't go to heaven. You just wouldn't have to go to hell. You understand that? If Jesus just came to die, if he came down for a weekend, you, you could, in essence, have your sins paid for, but you would never be right for heaven because heaven is only for righteous people. It's only for righteous people. That's why Jesus lived this perfect life ahead of time so that he could give all that righteousness to you. The Bible describes righteousness. I know it's like a theoretical idea for some of us, right? It says that one day, right, when we enter heaven, those who are right with God will put on Jesus's righteousness like a robe. It will cover us and we'll be safe in it because we have that righteousness that Jesus earned for us. It says, back in the, the passage, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, it says, they will suffer, the people who don't know God, they'll suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, that's one thing, and from the glory of his might, away from God himself and all of God's goodness. That's what the glory of God means in this case. All of God's goodness. Some people say, oh, well, I don't mind the idea of going to hell because all my friends will be there, right? Well, guess what? Friendship, love, family, food, anything that we like that's good, that's all removed in hell. That's why Matthew 25 says that it's a place of weeping, gnashing of teeth, and outer darkness. It's scary. And it's, and it's not a fairy tale. The, the reality is that that's more real than anything else that you, you or I ever know where we're gonna go when we die. And that's what matters the most. And that's why we're talking about that this morning. And that's why we're probably gonna talk about this a lot in junior high because I don't want you to go there. I want you to enter heaven with Jesus and his righteousness, eternal destruction. It's a place we never wanna go. It's a thing we never wanna experience. The good news is Jesus does not just preach that bad news and leave it there. He says in, back in the passage, look up at verse 14. If you're looking at verse 21, look at verse 14. It says, for the gate is narrow. That's good news. There is a gate. It's good news that there is even a gate, right? It's good news that there is even a way for us to be saved. The way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Point number two, I hope that this is true of you in junior high. I want you to get ready to live for Christ in junior high. Get ready to live for Christ in junior high. I recognize that some of you who are not Christians here are not living for Christ right now. I understand that. And I also think that probably some of you are living for Christ right now. And maybe you became a Christian last year or last month or last week. I don't know. And if you did, I want you to get ready to live for Christ in junior high because it's going to be a little bit different. And I know you might be scared. You might be thinking, wow, you know, I'm moving from sixth grade to seventh grade. Maybe I'm moving schools, right? Some of you moved from fifth grade to sixth grade and that was going to middle school, right? Others of you maybe are homeschooled. So maybe the change isn't that big. But I remember for me, it was really scary because I moved from Valencia 
elementary school to La Paz. Anybody going to La Paz next year? Anybody? Yeah, there's my people, my La Paz people. That's good. Anybody went to Valencia too? Anybody? Yeah, the twins, awesome, good. Those are my people. Uh, it's scary because there's a lot of changes, right? And one of the changes and one of the things that you're going to have to think differently about these next couple of years is it's going to get harder to live for God and to do what he wants. He says, that's why he says, the way's hard and those who find it are few. Because just like with that lazy river, get your mind back to that. Think about the lazy river, right? When you turn around and you walk backwards, you now have some obstacles, right? Yeah, Alex is the only one who thought about this, right? He's thinking about the big people in their tubes, right? And the little kids who are crying and the big guys who are like super hairy. And it's like, wow, really? Why are you at a water park, man? This is a place for kids, you know? Uh, <laughs> and junior hires. But mostly for kids. Water parks are mostly for kids. Like you're like going on the stage like, okay. That used to be like fun, but now it's like, yeah, it's okay. You're like, what's a water park? It's COVID time. I've never been to a water park. Anyway, uh, but you get some opponents, right? Just like when you turn around the lazy river, you get opponents. There are things that will oppose you. If you want to live for Christ in junior high, you're going to have some opponents. The first one is this, the current, right? The current of the world. Here's what um, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What that means is there's going to be people and there's going to be a, a whole world system that if you listen to the main service today, we understand that it was, it's run by Satan right now. Satan's in charge of the world system as it is, right? And if you're going to live for Christ, it's going to feel like the current is going against you. It's hard. Why is it so hard for me to read my Bible? Why is it so hard to pray? Right? Why is it so easy to sit down and watch a movie, but then when you sit down to read your Bible, it's really hard. Why do you think that is? It's because there's a God of this world that does not want you to do those things. That's going to make it difficult for you. The other thing that's going to be hard is when you become a Christian, you'll start to fight even your own self. Here's what 1 Peter 2 verse 11 says. It says, 1 Peter 2 11, it says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain. That means to say no to the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. It says, inside your own heart, there's going to be this war, like, I want to do the right thing. I don't want to do the right thing. What do I do? I, and there's, you feel like you're being tugged apart, right? That's a hard thing. And I want to warn you that if you want to live for Christ, it's going to be hard. Because honestly, it'd be a lot easier for you not to live for Christ in junior high. I'll just be honest. It's a lot easier. That's what Jesus said in the passage. But he said it doesn't lead to life. It leads to destruction. Your sinful fleshly desires. Also, as I mentioned before, we have a spiritual enemy. That's the third opponent that we have. The world, the flesh, and the devil, as some people have put it before. Ephesians 6.12 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood unless you have a little brother. Then you wrestle against flesh and blood on occasion. Or a little sister. Sisters, they scratch. Brothers, they punch. Do you have any little siblings? Or are you the youngest? Anybody the youngest in here? Okay, we got some youngest. You guys are, you are the aggressors, right? Um, it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood in this spiritual war, but we wrestle against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Those, th those names, authorities, cosmic powers, right? you're like, whoa, what are those? Right? Are those? Is that the government? Is that? No, it's not. What that, those things are described as are this class of angelic beings and these Satan's army that's opposing us. I mean, every day Satan's army is opposing us. That's, a, that's an interesting thought. Right? That Satan is as real as God is. Right? And that his angels are as real as God's angels. And that real, that real war is something that's hard. Well, I described a lot of hard things for you. Here's the good news. Okay? Here's why the Narrow Junior High ministry exists for you. We want to help you in all three of those areas. 
We want to help equip you. We want to get you ready to fight that battle. So, as we mentioned before, here's a couple things we do in the narrow, okay? We do what we're doing right now. Preaching, and then for, for you, it'd be listening, right? Listening, but not just listening, taking notes, right? That's why you got binders, right? That's why you're six feet apart. No, I'm just kidding. Now that you're six feet apart, I'll just say this, okay? The first TNN that we came back, you're six feet apart. There's like, people aren't like talking to their neighbors. It's so weird. Um, it's not weird. It's, no, that's normal, right? So when we go back together, if we ever get our chairs next to each other again, right? Just pretend like I didn't say that, um, so, yeah, whatever. Anyway, um, we do preaching. Right? That's the big thing that we do every weekend. Okay? Here's what Ephesians 4 says. Ephesians 4 says that God has given to the church prophets, apostles, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Right? God's given you the Bible and he's given you a shepherd and he's given you under shepherds at our church and he's also given you small group leaders. He's giving you pastors, he's giving you small group leaders that you can learn from. And our job, my job as your pastor, is to help you and equip you. That's what my job is. Not just from the church, but from God himself. And that's why every week you're going to hear preaching here in the narrow. The other thing we do every day is read the Bible. And I'm going to encourage you every day in junior high to read the Bible. Here's what Colossians 3 said. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts towards God. We want to be worshipful when we read, and we want to be worshiping God through our reading. It's awesome. DBR, that's why we do DBR Live. That's why we have group chats. It's all, everything in the narrow, hopefully everything, is built to help you with those three opponents. The other thing, we have TNN, we have small groups, we have your leaders. Those are kind of all like one grouped in. And you look around, the people that don't look like junior high students in here, they're not, um, even the ones that look like they're close in age to junior high students, they're not, right? And then there's those who really don't look like junior, I'm going to stop there. Um, they are people that, just like God has assigned me to help you, God has assigned them to help you. And you're going to have two of them, all of you are going to have two small group leaders this year, which is awesome. We have two leaders in every group, which is awesome. Um, God has assigned two people in your life, at least from this ministry, to be in your life to help you grow. Those are your small group leaders, right? We don't call them uh, counselors. I guess we could, right? Some ministries call it staff, right? They're leaders. They're your leaders to help you. They're your leaders to look to and to follow their example. Hebrews 10 says that that's their job. Hebrews 10 says, let us consider, this is Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. Your leaders want to help you love each other better and love your families. And they want you to do good works. And they want to help you do that. And part of that's by their example. Other part of that is by their words. They're going to admonish you, right? They're going to correct you when you're wrong. Get ready for that. That's a good thing. They love you. They're not doing that because they hate you or they think you're weird. They're doing that because they love you and they want you to live more like Jesus Christ. It says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. They're also going to encourage you. They're going to help you love one another. They're going to help you do good works. And they're also going to encourage you and affirm you in your good works, and help you do the right thing, and help you live for Christ. That was verse 13, verse 14. I want to take you back in the passage to the beginning of verse 13. Look what it says. The first thing Jesus says in Matthew 7, 13 is this. Enter. One word, simple. Enter by the narrow gate. Some people get confused about like, okay, so like what's the gate? What's the road? What am I talking about, right? I think it's pretty simple that we are born on this road, right? And that this broad gate 
is somewhere along the way. But it seems like Jesus is calling people to get off the broad road and enter the narrow gate at the beginning. Right? If, you ever, if you actually sit down and think about this, in the illustration, is the gate at the beginning of the narrow road or is it at the end of the narrow road? Right? I think in Luke 13, he tells a story where it says, strive to enter the gate. And we think that's at the end. But I think this gate's at the beginning. So think about it like this. Like on the freeway, right? You know, when the, there's the freeway and then there's those tiny little lanes, right? There's like six or seven lanes in the broad road. And then they tell you to get off on a freeway exit, right? I think that's what we're talking about. Enter by the narrow gate. That small way that gets off the freeway, right? If you're way over in the carpool lane, right? Some of you, none of you drive, sorry. Um, I was gonna say some of you who have tried to drive your parents' cars. Hopefully you haven't gotten this far. Um, maybe you've driven them in a parking lot, Right? You don't have to admit it because that's not cool, but I know half of you guys probably have, half of you girls, you probably have driven your dad's car at some point, right? Um, anyway, <laughs> you get off the, the, the freeway through this narrow way, and that's what Jesus is calling people to do. Just like I said at the beginning with my app, calling me to get off the freeway, Jesus is calling you to get off the broad road that leads to destruction. He's calling you, get off of it. Enter by the narrow gate. Point number three is this, get right with God today. Get right with God. That's an illustrative way of saying you need to talk to God and ask him for forgiveness, right? Because if it's true that everybody sinned against God, if that's really the truth and God is so holy, right? It's like you, you've spit on somebody, right? Let's just use that, right? Imagine spit on somebody, joked about spitting on you guys if you were sleeping yesterday. Um, the sixth grade, seventh grade, my bad. Ooh, sorry, not sixth grade. Seventh grade, right? At the edge party, I said, maybe if you're falling asleep, maybe I'll like try to tap you or, or never mind. Anyway, imagine you spit on somebody. Imagine you spit on your, your little sister. I have a little sister. I don't think I've ever spit on her. But you know that thing where like, you get on top of your sibling, right? You kind of let it dangle a little bit. Then you pull it back up with your spit. You ever... You ever done that? No. Neither have I. Um, never mind. <laughs> no, I, I think I did that to my brother once. Maybe not to my sister. But imagine, you did it to your little sibling. It's pretty bad. Right? Imagine instead of sucking it back up, you just kind of let it fall. and just kind of, gross, right? Now imagine you go to school one day in the distant future, and you do that to a classmate. Probably get in a lot of trouble, right? It's pretty nasty, right? Then, what if you did it to your teacher? Right, you'd be in a little bit more trouble there, right? Then, you do it to the principal. Right? You go to the principal's office, and you spit on him, right? Ooh, that's not good. Then, then the police show up, and you spit on the police. Then you go to the police station, you spit on the person who's taking your fingerprint. Then you get to trial for spitting. Just go with this. And you spit on the judge. Then somehow they let you, a serial spitter, get to know the mayor of the city. You spit on the mayor. And he says you should get to know the governor. And then you spit on the governor. And then you spit on the president. Like, it's like, whoa, okay. Why are you spit on so many people, right? Here's the thing. The punishment for spitting on the higher, more important person is a lot bigger than 
spit it on the little person, right? Your little brother, little sister, right? It might be the same thing, but that's why when the Bible says that when we've sinned against God, it's a huge deal because God's a big deal. You might not think your sin's such a big deal. You might think, you know, people sinned against me. I can take it. People have said mean things about me. That doesn't mean I should, you know, have to be punished for it when I do it. The problem is when we do that, we're doing it against God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who's always existed, never created. The narrow road reminds me of when I'm flying on an airplane, when they tell you when you're kind of a, if you fly to maybe Hawaii or somewhere where you're flying over water, they give you like a little spiel about if there's a crash landing, you have to leave all your stuff behind, right? You take your bags, take them off, you leave them. I've always thought, no way I'm doing that. I'm taking my backpack. I'm taking my laptop. I'm taking my iPad. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm not going to leave it on a plane if we jump over, <laughs> jump overboard. It's not, a, it's not a ship. It's a plane, right? But you know that when they show you those visuals of like people jumping off onto the, the slide, that's a really expensive slide. Think about it, right? You, you got to crash the plane to use that slide. I've always thought, it'd be so cool to do a slide off of an airplane. It's not cool because then you got to crash the plane. That's pretty expensive. But imagine you do that and you land somewhere next to the Hawaiian Islands. Let's say you're going on vacation there, right? And you have to crash land a couple miles offshore. Right? You jump out of that plane. If you brought your backpack, what's going to happen with your 20 pounds of electronics and stuff and your headphones and you're, no, <laughs> maybe. It's kind of going for the fact that you have bricks on your back and you're going to probably not be able to tread water for very long, right? If you're thinking about this illustration, you think, well, I just, how about we don't crash the plane? That'd be nice, right? Let's not crash the plane. Here's the problem though. Because of our great, great grandparents, Adam and Eve, the plane's going to crash and we're all going to die. We're all going to have to experience that crash landing. And people who aren't ready for it and they want to hang on to their stuff that they enjoy. They want to hang on to their sin and their lifestyle or whatever. Jesus says, you're on the broad road. You're not on the narrow road. You got to leave it behind, which is why in junior high, if you want to become a Christian, you have to leave behind your sin. You have to say, I'm, I'm repenting of it. I'm not going to do that sin anymore. Others of you, it might not be the sin. It might be the potential to sin. Here's what I mean by that. You think that maybe in high school, if you get through junior high and you don't become a Christian, then when you get to high school, you can go do all that bad stuff you want to do. Some of you just need to give up the potential for sin. Some of you need to give up your own self-righteousness. The narrow gate is so narrow, you can't take anything through it. That's what Jesus is saying. The other thing is you can't go through it with anybody else. That's the last thing. You know, sometimes we think that we can get into heaven because our parents are Christians, because we go to church, we come in behind them and when God has to sit you down in your family, he'll talk to your dad and not to you. He'll talk to your mom and not to you. The reality is every person comes in individually. That's why he calls the gate narrow. We need to enter by the narrow gate. That means we need to leave our sin behind. We need to leave our stuff behind. We need to follow him. And that's so important that that's why our ministry is called the narrow. Right? The narrow road, the narrow gate. Because that's what's most important. We want to make sure... That's something you're thinking about, and that's something that God does in your life in the next couple of years. So I'm going to pray for that right now, and we're going to head out. Let's pray. God, thank you for letting us be back together on a Sunday morning. Pray for all these students, some of whom I know very well and gotten to know over the last year, and others who I may not have met before. 
thankful that you've given them this, this time to be here and hopefully the next two years where they get to enjoy moving up and being in junior high and doing some new fun things. But we know what's most important, eternally important, is what they do with you and what they do with the gospel, the good news that you lived a perfect life in our place. And you can swap that life out for our sinful life and you can take our sin and pay for it. I pray that some of these students would say, I don't want to live for that sin anymore. I want to live for Jesus. I want to live for you. And I pray that you'd forgive them. You know, your word promises that if they, they repent of their sins and they trust you completely, that you'll forgive them. It's a gift that we don't deserve and we're thankful for it. So we pray that you'd help teach us over the next couple of years from your word as we turn to the gospel of John next week and as we study that all year, I pray that you continue to teach us about who you are and you teach us to live like you as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, everybody, you're dismissed. Thanks for being in the Narrows.